0: Welcome to True Crime and Horror, the podcast that delves into the darkest and most chilling stories from the world of crime and horror. Join us as we explore the fascinating and often terrifying world of true crime and horror, from notorious serial killers and unsolved mysteries to spine-tingling ghost stories and haunted houses. Our expert hosts will guide you through the most gripping cases and terrifying tales, providing insight analysis, and plenty of scares along the way. If you're a fan of true crime and horror, this is the podcast for you. So lock the doors, turn off the lights.
1: Being an avid horror fan comes with its own perks and cons. For example, you are the first one to book tickets to the latest horror movie and later be spooked by your own shadow. Although from a very young age, I love to see all the haunted movies, Evil Dead, Oman, Exorcism, and Emily Rose, you name it. But deep down, I never really believed in any of it. Not to mention, I used to watch all the exciting videos about unsolved mysteries around the world. The Lost City of Atlantis and the Bermuda Triangle are my top favorites. But as I grew up and the challenges and demons of the real world hit me, this love of horror movies and the dark and mysterious perished slowly. Now all I do is watch a couple of good old haunted movies on Halloween, and the next day, go to my 9 to 5. Plus, living in the big city hardly spares you time to indulge in your childhood hobbies. There are bills to pay and work to be done. But a couple of days ago, something happened which does not have a rational explanation whatsoever. Trust me, despite my love for the haunted, I grew up to become a data analyst. This means... I'm a person of science who analyzes everything before coming to a conclusion. But this event has left my rational mind baffled and forced me to consider this might be something out of the realm of science. But before I tell you exactly what I encountered, I want to tell you guys a short story. A long time ago, when good and evil roamed the Earth free without any inhibition, when the humans were scared of the terrifying things out there and prayed to God and the angels for protection, there was an evil being that tormented the living beings on earth. This creature was tough to spot or identify, let alone catch and imprison. While all the other vile creatures could be captured or at least caught, this creature attacked the living beings when they least expected it. Some of the other creatures attacked villages and small settlements. This creature attacked a single person or a lone animal. Time and again, people animal and angels joined forces to terminate this evil being but each attempt failed as the creature grew stronger and stronger the main reason why no one could spot the creature was because it was invisible and there were many of them this creature instead of hunting down its prey lured it into a space where it felt comfortable attacking it this creature was also called the sound monster in some parts of the world as its technique was unique It lured its next victim by mimicking the last sounds made by its previous victims. At last, by the grace of God, somehow these creatures were killed and captured. But some legends say that some of these creatures escaped and still roam the face of the earth. Now, as a sensible person, you may brush this story under the rug, claiming it to be nothing more than a legend. But what if I tell you I may have encountered one of these creatures right in the city I live in? You see, my work is hectic and most nights than not I work late, which means I must go home late. Luckily, my office is just a few blocks away from my apartment. I usually prefer walking to my office and back just to get some exercise done. There is a McDonald's on the way back home and I prefer grabbing a burger as dinner if I get too late. That day was no different. I had my mac in my hand and a milkshake in another. I was almost ready to fall into my bed when I would reach home as I was so overworked that day. A few buildings past the McDonald's was a public restroom. Now I never had to use this restroom ever because my apartment was so close by. But as I was passing in front of this restroom, I heard a woman yell for help. She was screaming and shouting. As a responsible citizen and a helpful person, dropped my food and ran inside. However, as soon as I entered the restroom, the screaming stopped. There were a couple of stalls in there And I kid you not, each of them was empty. I was so frantic when I entered the restroom that I started looking under each stall door to see if some lady needed help or not. But there was no one except me in the restroom. I felt a chill run down my spine as I stood in between the restroom and looked around the place. It was pin-drop silence in there. I walked out of the place and resumed walking on my way. But before I could take even a step toward my home, the screaming began. This time, I wasn't worried or even scared, I was annoyed. This was definitely someone trying to play a prank on me. So I whipped my phone out of my bag and started recording as I entered the restroom once again. I checked each and every stall again. This time, I was filming everything and once again, there was no one in there. I also decided to look for hidden speakers in maybe one of the stalls, on the walls or under the sink, but no, there was nothing out of the ordinary there. This was truly terrifying. I walked out, and the screams continued. I did not have the guts to go back in, but I didn't feel like walking away as well. So I called the cops. A few minutes later, the cops arrived, and as soon as they reached the scene, the screaming stopped. The cops searched the restroom more thoroughly than I did and landed on the same conclusion that there were no hidden speakers in there, nor were there any ducks or rooms in there. When they saw the video that I had filmed, They also heard the screaming which I had recorded while I was waiting for them. None of them had an explanation, so they sealed off the restroom for the time being and dropped me off at home. As soon as I reached my apartment, I posted the video online and within minutes, there were hundreds of comments. I started doing my research on the internet, but did not find anything concrete. That's when a comment grabbed my attention. It was an elderly lady who had typed a single line comment. The Legend of Skin Crawlers When I looked it up on the internet I came across the story I told you before Whether it was a skin crawler or not I will never know for sure And this will forever be an unsolved mystery in my life In recent years The world as we know it has seen crime rates Rise to the levels that have never been recorded in history Luckily Technology and the creation of numerous justice and crime departments have made it almost impossible for one to commit a crime and at the same time, get away with it. Although this does not rule out the possibility of getting away with a crime, as every once in a while, there are crimes, be it a misdemeanor or felony, that would completely stump the world and have all defense and justice agencies looking for answers where there are none. A perfect example of this would be the case I'm about to share with you. A case so peculiar that it still has yet to be solved, is the case of the Black Dahlia murder. Like every murder case, the Black Dahlia began with the discovery of a body. On the morning of January 15th, 1947, a mother had decided to take her child for a walk in a Los Angeles neighborhood, Leimert Park to be exact. But what she didn't expect was that she would stumble upon what the LA police deemed one of the most horrific crime scenes they had ever set their eyes on. The body was located just a few feet from the sidewalk and positioned in such a way that the mother reportedly thought it was a mannequin. But as she got closer, one can only imagine how quickly her heart sank as she realized it was the body of a young naked woman cut clean in half at the waist. When she realized it was a corpse, she rushed to a nearby house and telephoned the police. It was a strange sight to all who witnessed the crime scene, as the corpse had been posed with her hands over her head and her legs spread apart the lower half of her body being a foot away from the upper and the intestines tucked away neatly beneath her butt. Everything about it was strange and horrific, but what seemed the strangest about the scene was despite numerous cuts and extensive mutilation, there wasn't a single drop of blood on the corpse. The consequent investigation was carried out by the Los Angeles Police Department with help from the FBI, tasked to identify the body, which they did rather quickly, in just under an hour. She was identified to be one Elizabeth Short, a 22-year-old native of Boston who many believed was an aspiring actress, despite her lack of acting credits or jobs during her time in L.A. After the body was identified, medical examiners determined that she had been dead for about 10 hours before the discovery, leaving her time of death sometime between the evening of January 14th and the morning of January 15th. Elizabeth's body had been washed by the killer, and her face slashed from the corners of her mouth Creating something commonly known in the forensics world as the Glasgow Smile. In addition to that, the killer also sliced away entire portions of flesh from her thighs and breasts, leading some to believe she was raped right before being executed. The LAPD and FBI prioritized the case for its gruesome nature and eventually brought in 150 suspects, but interrogations proved useless and yielded no clues as to who killed Elizabeth or why they did so. As the case gained notoriety, Elizabeth was given the nickname of The Black Dahlia, as newspapers of that period often nicknamed particularly lucid crimes. The term originated from a film noir murder mystery that was popular in that period named The Blue Dahlia, and even more pressure was put on the FBI and LAPD as citizens grew even more concerned. The FBI eventually contacted Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe Short, to inform her of the death and find out if she knew anything that could help them find and apprehend the killer. It turned out, reporters from a newspaper called the Los Angeles Examiner had contacted Phoebe immediately after the body was identified and told her Elizabeth had won a beauty contest in an attempt to get personal information about her from Phoebe. After getting as much info as they could, they eventually broke the news to Phoebe that her daughter had been murdered and offered to fly her out to help with the investigation, but instead kept her away from the police and other reporters to protect their precious scoop. It's important to keep in mind that this was a grieving mother who had just lost her child, but instead of being allowed to grieve and help, was instead being used by the media to fuel their investigations. The examiner and press later went on to sensationalize the case, making it seem like something it wasn't by describing the black tailored suit short was last seen wearing as in, quote, a tight skirt and a sheer blouse. Phoebe's mother had no additional information for the police, and they were eventually right back where they started. Due to the fame of Elizabeth's case, the initial investigation had over 70 call-ins, mostly made by men claiming to be the killer, but they were all deemed false, and it seemed all hope was lost. Little did they know that this nightmare of a case was just now starting. On January 21st, 1947, six days after the body was found, a call was placed to the editor of the newspaper that had been following the case, claiming he had been Elizabeth's killer and that he eventually planned on turning himself in but not before allowing the police to pursue him further. Before ending the call, he also told the editor to expect some souvenirs of Elizabeth in the mail. On January 24th, a suspicious envelope was discovered. It had been addressed to the Los Angeles Examiner and other Los Angeles papers. The envelope had a letter using cut words from newspaper clippings that read, here are Dahlia's belongings. It included Elizabeth's birth certificate, business cards, and an address book. The packet had been carefully cleaned with gasoline, similar to the Dahlia's body, and this led the police to believe they were dealing with the actual killer, but despite the efforts to clean the packet, several partial fingerprints were gotten and sent to the FBI to be examined. However, the prints were mysteriously compromised in transit and eventually could not be analyzed. The same day the packet was received, a handbag and a black suede shoe were found just three kilometers from where the body was found, but unfortunately, The items had also been cleaned with gasoline and was inevitably just another dead end. On the 14th of March, a suicide note scrawled in pencil was found tucked in a shoe in a pile of men's clothing by the Ocean's Edge in Venice, Los Angeles. The note read, To whom it may concern, I have waited for the police to capture me for the Black Dahlia killing, but they have not. I am too much of a coward to turn myself in, so this is the best way out for me. I couldn't help myself out for that or for this sorry, Mary. The pile of clothing was reported to the LAPD by the lifeguard captain on the beach, and they included a coat, trousers, a brown and white t-shirt, white jockey shorts, tan socks, and tan moccasin leisure shoes of about size 8. Evidently, like everything else, the clothes gave the police no clues as to whom the owner was. The FBI and LAPD continued an intensified investigation by putting out rewards for information and bringing in more suspects. They went back to all pieces of evidence left by the killer in hopes of finding something new. But sadly, the case of Elizabeth Short, aka the Black Dahlia, was well and truly over, even though they didn't want to admit that. A total of 750 investigators of the LAPD and other departments worked on Elizabeth's case at the time and a number of suspects, theories, accusations, and arrests took place. The media continued its pursuit of a hot story, and by the spring of 1947, the Black Dahlia case had gone cold. The media received more notes and cryptic messages from the supposed killers, but eventually, all interest died down, and they too gave up on the case and abandoned all hope of solving the case of the Black Dahlia. I know most people watching would believe The insufficient technology they had in 1947 might have proved a factor in the killer being able to evade the authorities while toying with them at the same time but it should be stated that although the case went cold as the years passed the fbi continued investigations in finding the answer to who killed the black dahlia and why the murderer has never been found and given how much time has passed probably never will it remains a mystery and sadly A mystery unsolved.
0: The following is a dramatization based on a true story of the disappearance of Lonine Rogers. I'm Allison, and on January 7th, 1981, my mother, Lonnie, Lonine Rogers, disappeared. I was born and raised in Hayfield Township, Pennsylvania. My home was a traditional house for the most part. My parents, Lonnie and Bud, were married and they had me and my little brother. One thing about my parents is that they were both deaf. Where that didn't make my childhood much different than anyone else's, it was a defining thing in my mother's disappearance. For the most part, my parents got along, other than the occasional fight. Though over the years, the fighting increased. One thing about both my parents being deaf, it wasn't normal fighting, where people yell and scream. But things were thrown, and there was a lot of grunting and obscene hand gestures, mostly on Bud's part. My mother was very sweet and affectionate towards my brother and me. Bud wasn't the kindest father, and he was an even worse husband. I always clung to my mother as she was the safe space in the house, especially when Bud would come home from work. My mom always sent us to bed after dinner, and though we wouldn't hear a horrific exchange of words, we heard things being thrown. I can't ever confirm it, but I was sure I heard the sound of Bud slapping my mother. Then one day, it all stopped. The fighting. Then the holidays came, and they were 21. Despite the picture-perfect Christmas and New Year rolling in, I couldn't shake the haunting feeling in the pit of my stomach that something bad was going to happen. I even tried to talk to my mother about it. Mom, I, f- I feel like you're going to disappear on me. She was deaf and signed, but her hearing aids enabled her to hear me, and she could verbally respond to me. Of course not, baby. Where did you get an idea like that? I'm your mom, and I'm not going anywhere. I may have been a child at the time. But looking back, I think I knew back then that she was convincing herself more than me. Days later, I came home from school and she was gone. Bud insisted she was just out with some friends and she would be back soon. But that sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach had me nauseous from how strong it was. The next morning, she still wasn't home. My little brother asked me if she was coming home, and I had no choice but to ask Bud. Dad, is Mom coming home? Bud simply shrugged and told me that my mother had ran away with another man. I didn't believe it for a second. My mother loved us, and she never would have abandoned my brother and me. Bud never reported her missing, but my grandma, her mother did there was an investigation that was open as there were clues that she didn't up and leave despite bud's claims that she did her hearing aids glasses medication and her car were left behind in a severe snowstorm it made no sense that a person would leave their necessities behind like that bud also being a member of the deaf community was never questioned by law enforcement as there was no professional interpreter to assist in communication. The rest of my childhood was spent in agony. Bud took care of us, but he never talked about my mother. And I grew up with a hole in my heart. The case was closed and I had no closure on my sweet mom. My brother and I grew apart and I got close with my grandmother, Maxine. A few years had gone by, and I was graduating college. A news report came up about some human remains that had been found in the bottom of a lake. Upon inspection of the body, it was a female whose physical description matched my mother's. They were able to determine that the woman died around the time of my mother's disappearance as well. My grandma and I looked into the case and found that she had been brutally beaten and her throat was sliced so much she was nearly decapitated. She was also deaf. Law enforcement will not release details on who the woman is. I believe this is my mother and Bud hasn't said anything on the matter. I'm sure he won't. Since these findings have come up, I've wanted to reopen my mother's case. My grandmother and I have been working tirelessly to revive it. I've taken it upon myself to reach out to the Deaf community in my old neighborhood, and I'm hoping to get some information out of them. I knocked on the door of one of my parents' friends, and they opened it. Hi, I'm Allison you probably don't remember me but i'm lonnie and bud's daughter she signed for me to come in and i came and sat down she offered me some tea and i gladly accepted she then signed to me asking what she can do for me i used sign language to communicate with her too i'm just gonna cut to the chase i think bud had something to do with lonnie's disappearance Law enforcement has discovered some remains that I believe to be Lonnie's and we're trying to reopen her case. I wanna know if you know anything about this. She began telling me through sign language that she and Bud were having an affair at the time of Lonnie's disappearance but that Bud never had anything to do with it. I was not surprised to hear that Bud was having an affair. No decent man could treat my mother the way he did and not be cheating on her, in addition to all the abuse that she suffered. Do you know what happened to my mother? She told me the same bullshit that Bud told me, that she ran away with some other guy. Are you still in contact with Bud? She shook her head no, and the look in her eyes as I polished off my tea worried me. It was that same sinking feeling I had around the time I lost my mom. My last moments with her flashed before my eyes as I felt my throat tighten. I blinked my eyes and I swear she asked the audible question. (laughs) Are you feeling dizzy? Good, you should. My eyes closed and I don't know how long I had been out, but I woke up in my car to find that I was sinking into a lake. I began to panic and started to roll the window down as fast as it would go. I sucked in a breath as I was submerged into the water. I squeezed out the window and tried to swim to the surface. But the pressure of the sinking vehicle pulled me under. I began to drown when suddenly I was pulled out of the water by a rescue team. My grandmother did a background check on the girl I went to see... And found some shady things she made some phone calls and they got me out in time it was terrifying but I now feel I'm on the right track of opening my mother's case and getting those who killed her behind bars can you see me hello can you find me Can you find me? I'm here! Behind you, look! Behind you! I'm behind you. I am right behind you. Don't be scared. I just want to play a game with you.
1: Hey!